0: This episode of Dig Me Out, it's incredibly dense, and it's kind of boring to listen to it most of the time. You,
1: if you listen really hard, there's guitar back there. Like, turn it up. I think he's doing something cool. We have
0: three guitar players. You can't even hear two. Right. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I am your host, Domenici, and joining me once again, Jason Ziac J, how are you?
1: I'm good, but I'm not nearly as deep as you are. You, you got the extra deep voice on tonight.
0: I'm working on my radio voice. Oh. Sounds of Dig Me Out. Uh, I think that has to do with the fact that I've consumed enough tea that I have um, mellowed myself into a state of uh, sedation. It's not right. like coffee. Well, let's,
2: uh...
1: That's perfect setup for Band of Susans.
0: It is a perfect setup because um, this is a song that uh, requires sedation to listen to. That's a little that's a little extreme. I might have pushed it a little too far there. How about I get into the history of uh, Band of Susans, and then we'll get into reviewing this record. Band of Susans formed in New York City in 1986. Uh, the original founding members were Robert Poss on guitar and vocals, Susan Stenger on bass and vocals, and Ron Spitter or Spitter Spitter Spider on drums. The first lineup included Susan Lyall on guitar, Susan Tellman on guitar, and Elva Rogers on vocals. So yes, they had three women named Susan, two on guitar, one on bass for a total of three guitar players, and hence the name Band of Susans.
1: There you have it.
0: There you go. Uh, The first lineup recorded the debut album, Hope Against Hope, which was released on Blast First in 1988. Uh, Susan Lyall, Susan Tellman, and Alva Rogers all left the band, were replaced by Karen Hagloff on guitar, and a young guitarist by the name of Paige Hamilton on third guitar. Do you know why Paige Hamilton is, is uh, relevant to this discussion, Jay?
1: The guy from Helmet?
0: Yeah. He, he went on, he left after one album, which was 1989's Love Agenda, which was released on Blast First and Restless Records, and he went on to form the band Helmet after this band. Karen Hegloff also left Anne Hussek on guitar and Mark Lonegren on bass formed what is considered to be the classic lineup with Paul Stringer and Spitter... Spitter, Spider, whatever I pronounced his name, I don't know. And their first album as a five-piece was the album we're reviewing tonight, The World and the Flesh, in 1991, followed by Veil in 93 and Here Comes Success in 95, all released on Restless Records. And that's pretty much it. The only, um... No, in terms of this podcast, the only significant member that we're going to mention is, is Paige Hamilton. Everybody else in this band went on to do more avant-garde work that we're not going to ever review, so I'm not going to get into it.
1: Much more important things.
0: Yes. Being so, a poet. Jay. Yes. Tell me about your love for the Band of <laughs> Susans.
1: Oh, I, I really, I try to go into all these with an open mind. Um, I
0: I should mention, this was a suggestion by Professor Neil Schmidt, Assistant Professor Neil Schmidt, uh, recording guru Neil Schmidt, who joined us on the last podcast for Swerve Driver. He couldn't join us for this podcast, uh, but this was his suggestion um, for a band that we review, so that's why we took on this record. Now continue, Jay.
1: Well, I feel like the the professor gave us a homework assignment here, and I was supposed to, and I kind of went into it that way knowing neil recommended it uh wanted to go into it thinking okay you know what what about this is significant what do, what, what do i need to pick up on what, what do i need to hear that here that you know that uh i normally might write off but because he recommended it you know i'm trying to be as open-minded as possible um you know this is in general i'm not a huge fan of new york bands. um hate to say blanket, blanket statements like that, but other than maybe some some of the Interpol stuff, I'm ha- I have a hard time naming a lot of New York bands that I like. Um, probably the only other one I can think of is Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, it, you know, and, and just this type of thing is it's a lot of work for me to, uh, to get through. Um, the main reason for that is any start with the production so i mean this is like i don't know how would, is this shoegaze what is this i mean it's it's kind of my bloody valentine
0: like. this is a midpoint between the shoegaze uh, brit pop or not brit pop the british shoegaze of my bloody valentine and what i would call the new york no wave movement which was started in the late 70s and was on through the early 80s through the bands like sonic youth and specifically Glenn Branca, who sort of pioneered this idea of, like, the guitar orchestra of uh, bands playing with, you know, multiple, more than just two guitar players, and creating this, you know, symphony of uh, distortion and, you know, a lot of uh, overtones and uh, notes within the, the, the layers of the guitar playing that's going on that are harmonically based, and it's incredibly dense, and it's um kind of boring listen to it most of the time
2: yeah, I, here's the
1: thing is that the, when you describe that i'm like okay there's things about that that i think i could appreciate and get into but when i listen to this i don't really hear that i hear hear one guitar just roaring over all the others um i think there's another guitar well you're saying this is a five piece i i can't Understand how there's five people in this band because the sound of the band is actually pretty thin Um, There's parts a lot of parts of the songs where it basically It sounds like uh, one guitar and a drum machine with no cymbals Oh, you just hear like this one delayed guitar playing like three chords a three chord pattern for six minutes and then even the drum part is just like a kick and snare there's not even a hi hat, and then yeah, it's pretty minimal. It. Now I, I'm, you know, I'm listening, you know, really hard trying to. There's other things going on, and I'm trying to figure out what they are. And at times, the second guitar—I mean, it is so buried. You know, at, at times it almost sounds like a saxophone or something going on in the background, but it's so faint. When I mean, you're just like struggling to pull it out and hear it. You know, part of me is like, if this was mixed differently, maybe I would sort of be able to understand it a little bit better and see, understand where it's coming from. But on so many levels, it's just completely to everything that I look for in a band. Um, it's kind of funny, though. The first couple of times I, I listened to this, not the full album, but heard some songs from it. It was just coming up, you know, randomly in my iTunes. and One of the songs that came up was track six, which is um on Competition Part 2.
0: Completion. Isn't
1: it? I don't know. I have competition in my...
0: Sorry, yeah, you're right. Competition.
1: It's, <laughs> it kind of sounds like a cult song. It sounds like if you took the, just the beginning, like the open, it actually has a riff to it.
0: I was going to say it has like a 70s guitar rock riff, like UFO or something.
1: I thought it was. It sounds like a mix between Love Era Cult and Electric Era Cult. So if you took the Love Era Cult, like all the delay on the guitar and um, that kind of sound, and you played a guitar riff like on Electric, the album Electric, it's, you put those two together, it kind of would sound like that. But then it, it just rambles and it really doesn't go anywhere. But like that song came on and I was like, Oh, of Susans, okay, That's what this band's about. That riff came on, I was like, This is kind of cool. It's remind me of like early cult stuff and so i sort of get through that song which goes on five minutes and gets noisy at the end like every song does and i start sampling more of the record i'm like wait a minute that's
0: kind of an anomaly there's no other uh, song on the album that's really like that i did like um track four plot twist Uh, it did have, I thought it had a, a pretty good guitar riff to open, and it kind of reminded yeah. me of uh, Jesus and Mary Chain.
1: I wrote down a uh, Black Rebel motorcycle Club,
0: Which was essentially ripping off Jesus and Mary Chain.
1: I had that song highlighted too. It was,
0: yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't get anywhere. Like, the problem with all of these songs, and I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here, is that if you're going to have three guitar players, and I understand that there is a aesthetic. Guitar to- players? They have three guitar players. You can't like even they're... hear two. Right? They're you and it, the whole point of this movement, the no wave movement, is that you're you, and Glenn Branca is that you're basically you have three guitar players, but they're all playing the same thing. You know, and you're supposed to create this wall of you know sound, but it's completely uninteresting. I mean, maybe from a technical standpoint, it's interesting, and from a um, you know from a music theory standpoint, because you're getting all this. You know these extra notes from the harmonics and the and the overtones and whatnot, but I'm not even sure if that's the right term overtones. I'm just throwing something out there that I think I read once. Um, it's good. Yeah, but it's repetitive, and there isn't anything distinct with any of the guitar playing that's going on. It sounds like a band that was trying to do shoegaze or Sonic Youth in the 90s, in the early in the late 80s, early 90s, and they just they were never really good enough. Um, The vocals aren't there. They're weak. Maybe by the third or, or, you know, the fourth or fifth record, they got stronger. I don't know. I don't know that I'm going to want to get into those (laughs) records. Um, I picked this one because it was after Paige Hamilton. We couldn't do the Paige Hamilton one because it was 89 and we don't want to dip into the 80s yet. That'll be for a separate podcast. Dig Me Out, cassette, the 80s. So I was interested to see, okay, well, where did they go after Paige Hamilton left the band? Because I I kind of imagine if Paige Hamilton was involved, there must have been some pretty cool guitar stuff going on. But they don't use the guitars, you know, from a songwriting standpoint, from just a pure, what are you doing that's interesting from instrument to instrument? They could have had one guitar in this band because the other two guitars are irrelevant. Other than creating that noise that mimics the first guitar and... You can do that in the studio by just multi-tracking the guitars. You know, Billy Corgan did that on Siamese Dream. He recorded 90 guitars for some of those tracks, and he layered it and he created this thick wall of sound. Well, he could have done that here, and he could have had two guitar players or one guitar player, and there's rarely any time where the guitar players are doing anything different, other than maybe creating feedback and, and noise. The other instruments in the band aren't doing anything to... Uh, you know, take away, you know, or, or draw attention away from the fact that the guitars aren't doing anything. The drums are pretty minimal and weak sounding. Very reminiscent of, uh, or not reminiscent, but um, you know, uh, the production of some early shoegaze stuff has a sounded like it was recorded in a tin can. Mm. And there's definitely some tin canness um, to this record.
1: Well, uh, I even doubted that there was a bass player in the
0: band for the first couple songs i heard the only time you really hear the bass player do anything interesting is on track eight there's like a descending bass riff And that's the first time the bass player steps out from just playing the notes underneath the guitar, where they're actually. Doing- my only
1: note, my only note on track eight was, I want to hear the second guitar. Like at that point in the album, I started like, you if you listen really hard, there's a guitar back there. But, like, turn it up. I think he's doing something cool. <laughs> but I can't hear him. All a- I can hear is this one, this one guitar. It's just killing everybody.
0: It, it almost sounds like they recorded this on four-track, and they put the vocals on one track, the bass on one track, the drums on one track, and all the guitars on one track. Because there's, um, there's no separation of anything that you can discern what's being played from the guitars. Uh, which is a shame, because apparently these were really talented guitarists. And not only work? is what they're playing you know, inaudible from each other, they're not, you know, I'm sure that there are amazing tunings going on here, sort of, you know, crazy sonic youth, um, tune the whole guitar to E and play it with a bow and all sorts of crazy stuff, but it doesn't sound really that interesting. Like, um, I'm not hearing, you know, My Bloody Valentine, when Neil was talking on the Swerve Driver episode, did interesting things using the whammy bar and bending the notes. You know, other bands utilized delay or vibrato
1: oh this has delay on it
0: yeah it has delay on it, but...
1: it just it's like a ping pong like almost uh makes you in, like irritable kind of feeling but, but all right so this is I guess this is the way we should evaluate this now talking to professor Neil about this album he mentioned that you know the point of it to him this sort of type of band this aesthetic it's not about what you hear it's about what it makes you feel So, the things it made me feel, you know, talking about the delay, because he's not playing the delay, meaning he's not listening to the the second signal that's being created and then playing off of that, he's just playing through it. You end up just with this, I don't know, just non-rhythmic annoyance, Mm -hmm. buzzing thing um so at times i'd be irritated about that and at other times i would just be totally zoned out um maybe if i wanted to go to sleep there would be parts of this that i could put on quietly and it would like buzz me to sleep i don't know but um I, i'm looking at my notes here real fast before i forget so every podcast we do I, I i take notes and write down something for each song and you know some some songs i'll get three four sentences in and other songs um not so much but on here, by the time I get to the end of the album, track 10, the only thing I have written down is, I like the album cover. <laughs> like, I, I had nothing else even. I couldn't muster any other comment out. I was just, like, staring at my iPod, and I'm, like, looking at it. I'm, like, ooh, the album cover's kind of neat. It's got this, like, sparkly red guitar on it. And, like, they look like they rock.
0: Um, I, I, I kind of liked, you're going to laugh at me, um, track 9. Um, just because it reminded me of early um, post-punk in the Joy Division, and this is going to be a little more obscure, but Cabaret Voltaire, it had an Ooh. industrial sound. Yeah, it has an
1: industrial thing.
0: It, that was kind of cool.
1: I am not an industrial music fan, but by the time that I got to that song, I, I had the same reaction that you did. I was like, "All right, at least this makes sense."
0: Yeah, at least it's doing something different. And yeah. My, my note on like that me.
1: song, why I'm going, why we're going, going through these. My note on song nine was full three minutes of feedback? Question mark? Question mark? Question mark? Highlighted. It's like a three-minute intro of nothing but feedback on that song. Then they do an industrial drum thing, and then. I wrote uh is this a drug album? Like do I have to be just totally stoned on something to understand what or appreciate this in any way? Uh
0: no. I don't think good music necessarily has to be appreciated with the use of um some sort of a you know intoxicant. <laughs> I I just I think this is a band in between ideas and in between concepts. They're not fully shoegaze, and they're not fully no wave, and they're not fully developed, and
1: they are fully full of themselves.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that they were, you know, um, you know, a darling of some group of people back when this came out, and I'm sure that if somebody from that era okay. listens to this podcast. We're gonna get an angry email deriding our lack of sophistication. Because we praise, you know, Big Wreck, but don't praise this, and um, I'm okay with that. I'm I'm fine with that. I'm not even gonna ask why this wasn't successful because I don't even think there was <laughs> an attempt. I don't even think there was an attempt to make this successful. This is this to me is yeah. to a band for other musicians to listen to, and I I actually I could I could add like Velvet Underground to. The list of bands that they're aping, including My Bloody Valentine and, and, Son- and Sonic Youth, Velvet Underground would fit uh, well, which was a band that, you know, nobody listened to but inspired other people to start bands. I don't know that this band inspired anybody, but maybe somebody
2: well, yeah, I could, could do see it like, better.
1: The guys in Interpol listening to these records and, you know... Thinking they're listening to something super important and aping little things here and there. There, there's a guitar riff here and there. or I don't want to say riff. I'll say it sound. Moments of guitar sounds that are reminiscent of, of what they do. But it's very, very minor. But the, they're probably the kind of band where you know feels super important. Probably go back and listen to and reference, talk about. But old people just don't get it. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't. We're doing a podcast about obscure music, and if we don't get it, it's like
0: I, I don't know. So this isn't a you know fully, th- fully throated uh, dismissal in the same way that Sons of Elvis was, but <clears throat> I don't think we can recommend this for listening pleasure. If you're into if you're into shoegaze and and no wave, and you haven't heard this band, well then most definitely you should pick up this record because this will be right in your wheelhouse. If you're not into those genres. Hardcore, then I would not say that this is something that you're gonna to want to run out and buy. But you never know; it might pique your interest. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you what you should like and what you shouldn't like. I'm just gonna say it's not my it's not in my uh, playlist after tonight.
1: I'm gonna tell you you shouldn't like it. No I'm kidding. Is this an album even available? Can you even buy it?
0: Jay, that's a good question. And um, by the time this episode comes out. I will have determined the answer to that question. What label was it on? Blast First and Restless. Oh, no, Restless isn't around anymore. No. I don't think Blast First is either. Yeah, I don't,
1: this is going to be probably a tough one to get.
0: This might be... Uh,
1: where, where are you getting these songs from? You must have just tell people.
0: I, uh, I googled the band, and huh. uh, I added... Where did I find this? I think some of them were on uh, Shell, who's a a listener and a uh, supporter of the podcast, has the great blog, I Hate the 90s. She has uh, some MP3s in zip files listed on her website, and she might actually have this album up there for download. I think she has some other Band of Susans, but I don't know if this album specifically is on there. It's not necessarily the most legal thing to do, but uh, I do want to mention that you can do such things as type in the name, Of the band and then the uh, album title and search websites such as rapid share and mediafire and multi download or upload or something like that mega upload and they are uh, file sharing uh, zip hosts zip file hosts and RAR hosts and um, usually it's you know that's where I find the really obscure stuff I do try to find the non obscure stuff legally so, But if it's just out of print and nobody's – some of these records – I don't even know if this came out on a CD, to be honest. This might have only come out on vinyl. I'm sure we're going to encounter records like that. So there you go. That's, our, that's just the tricks of the trade and finding obscure stuff that's out on the web. Cool. All right. Well, that's it. I got nothing else. Jay, anything?
1: No, oh, that's it.
0: All right. We're out. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Check out the website, digmeoutpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week on dig me out visit digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our facebook page and twitter feed